Morning. Morning. A uh, couple of housekeeping things before uh, we get started today. I do want to, <laughs> uh, earlier in the announcements, I was morning. Morning. Uh, the sports thing. Um, I'm sick, okay? It came out weird. Uh, we will actually have the game on, and I'm sure that'll be exciting. Um, also, uh, this uh, May 3rd is the National Day of Prayer. There's a kiosk in the lobby, and we're doing a 24-hour prayer vigil. And I would just encourage you um, to go out there and take a 15-minute slot uh, and sign up. Um, you know, there's still plenty available. And so just to spend 15 minutes praying for a country, there's a, a guide that you can pick up here that'll kind of walk you through uh, that. Some of you maybe have never spent 15 contiguous minutes praying. Uh, and so it'd be a great challenge for you. Just want to encourage you to be, be part of that. Uh, there's still plenty of spots available, um, you know, I don't know about you, I, I picked when I normally have my quiet time anyway, <laughs> so it worked out pretty good. That, was, that slot was available, um, but we just want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. Um, thank you for the blessing we have, God, of assembling here today in uh, freedom and peace and safety. Uh, we pray, God, that we leverage every benefit and freedom we've got for the sake of the gospel. Please be with our brothers and sisters around the world, Lord, who um, don't enjoy these freedoms, but still meet every week anyway. Um, Places uh, like Nepal, where it's uh, against the law now to make disciples. And there are people doing it anyway. And so we, uh, we just ask you to make our brothers and sisters strong for their trial, and that you'd help us uh, take advantage of our freedoms, Lord. Um, thank you that you are writing our story, uh, ultimately, Lord, to have a happy ending. And so um, we look forward to that hope. We thank you for heaven and that promise, and for what heaven means for us here and now. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things in the world is to snuggle up with one of my little, little dudes and read a bedtime story. It's just, there's just something special. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, you probably know this. Put a little person on your lap and read if you give a mouse a cookie, you know. Or there's a monster at the end of this book, um, which my parents read to me as a little guy. Uh, one of my favorite memories growing up is sitting around the dining room table for our bedtime snack and my dad reading the Chronicles of Narnia to us. There's just something special about reading a bedtime story, isn't there? I want to thank you for being here today. If, if, it, if you're new here at Chapel Rock, uh, when we're done, I'd love to meet you. I'll be down front. Please come down and say hi. If you've just been attending for, uh, if this is your first time especially, or if you've just been here for a few weeks, I'd love to meet you. Um, also, uh, for those who are watching this online, uh, and they're watching later, because some, this storm we had a while back, just it, it broke something. <laughs> we haven't been able to find it yet, but our web stream is not working. So for those watching online later, uh, thanks for, for taking a second to, to do that. We're going to get working on that hard this week because we're starting a brand new sermon series next week, and we really want to have the live stream uh, working for that. But we just haven't been able to figure it out, so we're going to try to nail that down this week. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a sermon series uh, looking at different kinds of stories called The Whole Story. We've been talking about how when you make Jesus the hero of your story, uh, your whole story gets better. And in your bulletin today, hopefully you've got a bookmark that looks like this. And, and, on, and the back has been blank this whole time. And I would just encourage you as, you as we finish this series today for you to be thinking about ways to make Jesus the hero of your story. To kind of, you know, get out of your own way and let him run the show. Uh, and so we're going to finish that up today. Um, we're concluding this series today by talking about a bedtime story. And those are just those treasured 
uh, moments in my memory of, of as a kid, uh, my dad reading us bedtime stories, and now as a dad, being able to do that for my kids. Um, the lessons that we learn from these bedtime stories stay with us really all of our lives. Now, there are many in our world today who would say that our faith in Jesus is nothing more than a bedtime story. It's a fairy tale. Oh, sure, it's great. Heaven sounds nice, right? No more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, no more tears. It's a fairy tale. It's nice that you believe that. That's, if that works for you, great, but it's a bedtime story. It's what we tell children. We've grown past that. I would argue that our faith is much more than, than that. See, our happily ever after in Jesus is not a fairy tale, not in the sense of being a made-up story, but the way our story plays out has some similarities to the standard way that a fairy tale goes. (laughs) The way our story plays out kind of sounds like a bedtime story, doesn't it? I mean, there's more than one way to tell a fairy tale, but, but... Here's kind of the most common way that they go. Here's how the plot line often plays out in a bedtime story or a fairy tale. First of all, the main character falls under the shadow of some dark power. And then for a while, everything seems to go okay. It seems to go reasonably well. The threat may even seem to recede a little bit. It's going to be all right. (laughs) But then eventually this threat returns in full force. And the hero or heroine is often imprisoned or handicapped in some way or someone they love is taken captive. And this then goes on for quite a while. And it seems like the dark power has completely triumphed. It looks like it's all over. But then comes this miraculous turn. This this moment when the whole thing changes. And the hero or someone that they love is, is rescued. And then comes the happily ever after ending. See, most people think of J.R.R. Tolkien as the author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, author of fantasy. By the way, he's the best-selling author of the 20th century. And that's the, they forget that, I mean, he was that. <laughs> but he was also a professor of language and ancient literature at Oxford. Never earned a doctorate, didn't need it. (laughs) He was smart enough anyway. And so he's just known in literary circles as the professor. He once gave a lecture called On Fairy Stories, March 8th, 1939. He gave this lecture, and this guy had studied how all these ancient stories that that are known in literature like Beowulf and all that stuff, how they connect with modern fairy stories. Listen to what he said in that lecture. He said, the consolation of fairy tales has another aspect than the imaginative satisfaction of ancient desires. Far more important is the consolation of the happy ending. Almost I would venture to assert that all complete fairy stories must have it. At least I would say that tragedy is the true form of drama, its highest function, But the opposite is true of fairy story. Since we do not appear to possess a word that expresses this opposite, I will call it eucatastrophe. He made it up. He can do that. (laughs) The word literally means a good catastrophe. The eucatastrophic tale is the true form of fairy tale. 
and its highest function. Here's what I want to tell you today. We are living in a eucatastrophe. That's the story that we're all in. And when we understand that, it helps us translate happily ever after into here and now. Here's the big idea this morning. Our happily ever after actually changes our here and now. Our happily ever after actually changes our here and now. So how does that work? Well, how does this story that God is telling change our story? Well, I think our lives follow the same five stages of this bedtime story. Here's the first stage. We fall to a dark power. Throughout this series, we've noted the cataclysmic effect of our fall into sin. Paul says in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, and he goes on to describe the effects of the fall. Every one of us has this common theme in our story, that we all have death at the end of it, because of Adam's sin, and because of our own sin too. Now this fall into darkness is both a one-time event there was a point in your life at which you became accountable for your own sin. Because you did wrong, and you knew it was wrong, and you didn't care, and you knew it was wrong, not because your mommy and daddy told you it was wrong, but because you just knew in your gut, that's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. And that's the point where you become accountable to God for your own sin. That's a one-time event, but it's also an ongoing thing. We, we continue to struggle with this. And that's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he goes on to tell us how to fight that spiritual battle. See, ultimately what happens is that we're trying to be the hero of our own story. And it just doesn't work. And this became quite clear a couple weeks ago um, in, in the Miller's homeschool class. <laughs> uh, Dustin and Deidre Miller uh, sent me this, Deidre sent me this message on Facebook. I want to show you this. She said, homeschool moment too funny not to share. I asked my son to take an assignment to the next level. He asked semi-jokingly why I was being so mean. I told him his children would thank me one day when their father can excel at a job and provide for them. He said, what if I don't have kids? What if I don't get married? So on and so forth. I said, your wife or your single self will thank me. Either way, I'm the hero of the story. His immediate response, I thought Jesus was supposed to be the hero of our story. Seriously, mom, we just learned that. <laughs> I asked her permission to share that. <laughs> we want to be the hero of our story. I'm the star of the show. Woo, it's all about me. And God is telling you this morning, that just doesn't work. Because you have fallen under the influence of a dark power. You have an enemy, Satan, who wants you to do evil, wants you to burn forever with him in hell. <laughs> and oftentimes we're complicit in this. Okay. See, it's pretty much a universal element of fairy tales and bedtime stories to have some big bad guy who's out to destroy the world. But here's the twist in our story. <laughs> the bad guy is us. Remember the old cartoon, we have met the enemy and the enemy is us? We struggle against the rulership, against the authority, against the power of sin in our lives and what that does when it comes out in the world. 
But that's just what sets up the drama in the story because there's another stage in the story. The second stage is that Jesus saves us. It's a common theme in bedtime stories for the main character to get into some trouble and then someone comes to save them. You know, Cinderella has her fairy godmother. In Lord of the Rings, Frodo, Sam, and Pippin have Tom Bombadil and Strider the Ranger. In Star Wars, Luke Skywalker has Han Solo and Yoda. <clears throat> the hero gets into trouble and someone comes to save him. And for us, and in an infinitely greater sense, that person is Jesus. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13, For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the one who's come to save us. He rescues us from the power, uh, this dark power of our sin and our selfishness. And the way he did that was by living a sinless life, all while showing us what it's like to live a life totally surrendered to the will of God. And as part of that surrendered, he died on the cross in our place for our sins to pay the price for those sins. This is what Paul is talking about, I think, in Philippians chapter 2, starting about halfway through verse 5, when he tells us, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. <laughs> That's the moment of you catastrophe. The only good man who've ever, who's ever walked this earth, the only whole human being who's ever lived was killed, was murdered because of your sin, my sin, this horrible, horrible event. God turned into this miraculous thing that became when Jesus rose again, our life and joy and peace and grace in the Holy Spirit. Our story was headed south. And in this catastrophic moment, God turned it around when he sent Jesus. And until you reach the point where you admit your need for Jesus, that you need him to save you, you're going to be tempted to always try to be the hero of your own story. And it won't work. And if you want proof of that, ask Kim Harris to see your tattoo. <laughs> Maybe you know Andy and Kim. We prayed for them last week. Keep praying for Andy. A long time ago, Kim was really been through a hard time, had a lot of loss in her life, and had just kind of hardened her heart and soul against the world. And so she got a tattoo on her arm. I want to show you, this is the original. It says, I'm the hero of this story. I don't need to be saved. <laughs> That's kind of daring God to do something, isn't it? Well, God got a hold of her. She came to Chapel Rock and met Andy, and there's, you could, there's a, it's a long story there. She sent me a, a lengthy email and said, this is the short version. Um, but she had to get her tattoo edited once Jesus got a hold of her. Here's what it looks like now. And crossed it out. Jesus is the hero of this story. I need to be saved. When she went in there, it's like, do you want to get it covered up? No, no, leave, leave the original. I want to be, this is a reminder of what God has done. <laughs> Now, you may not need to get your testimony tattooed on your arm, but you absolutely need to lean into your story about how Jesus has rescued you from sin and self. 
Listen, people can argue about ancient documents and archaeology. They can argue about evolution and creation. They can argue about philosophy and religion. But the one thing they cannot argue about is what God has done in your life. There's no... How do they argue against that? What's the old hymn say? How do I know he lives? Because he lives in my heart. I was a jerk. Jesus got a hold of me. I'm, I'm better now. Not all the way there yet, like Paul would say. But he's at work in my life. That's the one thing nobody can dispute. Unless you're a giant you know, hypocrite. Don't do that. So tell your story. Tell what Jesus did when he came into your life and he saved you. See, there's a reason that people argue about this stuff. And that's the next part of the story. The third stage in the story is that we languish here. The third stage in this bedtime story is that for a while it feels like it's going nowhere. In John Bunyan's classic A Pilgrim's Progress, the main character, Christian, gets stuck in the slough of despond, like it's like a swamp. Frodo and Sam get lost in the trackless rocks of the Emmon Wheel in The Lord of the Rings. We get stuck. And some of you are here this morning and you feel stuck right now. You feel, in the, you're just languishing here like, I don't know what God is doing in my life. I don't know what's happening right now. I just feel stuck. I want to tell you this morning, take heart. Because that means that God is at work in your story. He's doing something in your life. Even when you feel stuck. See, what you're feeling right now is the tension between the now and the not yet. You're feeling the tension between, I know heaven is out there. I know I get a happily ever after in Jesus. But man, it doesn't feel that way now. I feel kind of stuck. See, you're feeling the tension between the now and the not yet. Did you know that the Bible speaks of our salvation in four different tenses? Four different ways the Bible talks about our salvation. First of all, the Bible says that you were saved 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. Past tense. This, it happened in the past. <laughs> I remember when we were in Israel, we went to uh, the pool of Siloam where Jesus healed the lame guy, you know, John 9. And uh, we were told to pray for um, healing, just whatever we had going on in our life to pray that Jesus would heal us. And I prayed for something that I'd been wrestling with for a long time. And I prayed for, for healing from that <laughs> and that God would save me from that. And he answered in my, and not out loud, I didn't hear voices or anything, but he, in my soul he spoke to me. And I prayed for healing in that place where Jesus healed the lame guy. And this is what I heard back in my soul. I prayed, Jesus, would you heal me? He said, I did, 2,000 years ago, other side of the hill. You were saved 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. That's what John 3.16 means. And you are saved, present tense, when you enter a covenant relationship with Jesus through faith, repentance, confession, baptism, and the spirit-filled life. It's an ongoing thing. You, you are saved. You're, you exist in that state right now. You are being saved, the Bible says, as the Spirit works in you to conform you to the image of Christ. It's an ongoing process. It, it, it's something that you're going to continue to experience the rest of your life in discipleship through Jesus. And you will be saved when Jesus comes again. 
When he comes in glory and rips the sky off the planet and we all go to judgment in front of the great white throne, you will be finally delivered. That's when you get your happily ever after. So for a time, we live in the tension between the now and the not yet. I, I know it's out there. I know it's co heaven's coming. And so we live in this tension. Th this is, I think, what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 21. So he says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, in my, uh, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin still at work within me. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself am, in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. See, who we are and who we're supposed to be are not the same. And that tension in our life is what makes us long for what Professor Tolkien called the consolation of the happy ending. We want that happily ever after. We want it. We know that who we are here and who we're supposed to be there are not the same person. I heard a story about a woman whose husband went missing. And she went to the police office to file a report, missing person report. And, and they got in there and they're doing the paperwork and the police officer said, hey, okay, give me uh, a description of your husband. And she said, okay, um, he's uh, about 6'4", weighs about 210, he's got kind of an athletic build. Um, he's got deep green eyes and dark wavy hair. He's soft-spoken and, and good to the children. And her neighbor who was with her said, what are you talking about? Your husband is five foot four, chubby, bald, and he's mean to your kids. And she said, I know, but who wants him back? <laughs> Better or worse, right? The best news about the gospel is that in Jesus, God puts to death the old you. There's a reason in Romans 6 that Paul connects baptism to death and resurrection. That in those waters, the old you dies. And that God raises up a new one. But we live in that tension. Where what Jesus is doing is in us is not complete yet. And we just feel like sometimes we're languishing here. And so if you're here this morning and you feel stuck, I want to tell you that God is doing something in your story. Might be hard to see, but he's, he's at work. We get a happily ever after when the eucatastrophe of our deliverance is made complete and Jesus comes, our story will end the way it should. Until then, though, we languish here and in stage four, we finally give in. It's quite common in the bedtime stories to push the narrative to the brink of disaster and then kick it over the edge. <laughs> in the Lord of the Rings, at the very end, Frodo finally sticks the ring on his finger. He just can't do it anymore. In the Chronicles of Narnia, spoiler alert, Aslan dies to redeem Edmund. 
Now, he comes back. But there's this sense, and every one of us is going to die. It's, it's, unless, we're, unless we're the blessed generation who's alive on earth to see the return of Jesus with human living eyes, every one of you in here will die. It's, it's not if, it's when. I hope it's a long way off. Let's face it, we look around, we're all different ages in here. Some, some my age, some much younger, others of you. Let's just say born at a more comfortable distance from the apocalypse. Um, it's going to happen. We will give in to our last enemy, death. Hebrews 9.27 says, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It's the common fate of us all. And to pretend that it's not going to happen is to not understand your own story. <laughs> Heard about a guy named Greg, graduated from college, uh, went out to get a job, went to apply at this place, had to fill out the paperwork, and he had to, you know, do all the testing and stuff, drug tests and all that. And so he had to go in, he had to show him his driver's license, and, and uh, he had to show him his birth certificate at this new job. And the lady's looking over it, and she's, okay, okay. And she kind of paused, like stopped. And he said, is, is there a problem? She said, I can't find an expiration date. <laughs> Ma'am, that's a birth certificate. I, they don't print them on there. Um... <laughs> Listen, it's not printed on your birth certificate, but there is one. Listen, I'm grateful to live where I do, when I do, but one critique I have of our society is that we have made an idol out of youth and vigor. And we're scared to death of death and illness and sickness. We're allergic to pain. And all we're doing is prolonging the inevitable. And I think it's because we struggle to have that hope in the happy ending. You see, there's one more stage in this story. It's when Jesus returns in victory. It's when the catastrophe of our deliverance is made complete. This catastrophic ending of the story is the return of Christ. This is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Look at this with me. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, in other words, when he returns, those who belong to him. Look at what he says here. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he, Jesus, has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. <coughs> Excuse me. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Did you see this picture? Jesus comes again. He reigns. King on a white horse. He comes to save us. Power, glory, light. Everything is put under his feet. And then in this moment of incredible surrender, one more time, he turns and says, Here, Dad, it's all you. We're back on? Okay. And Paul is just caught up in this doxology, and he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, 
but we will all be changed. That's the theme verse of every nursery worker. <laughs> Think about it. That's okay. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Dana, will you join me here? Listen, I don't want you to think that because our, this story has mythic and fairy tale qualities, that it's not true or that it doesn't change our lives here. You see, your happily ever after changes your here and now. And Dana's going to tell us a story that illustrates that. Hello. Is it on? Okay. Okay. We were driving to the funeral of our 19-year-old son, and a song came on the radio. It's written from Revelation 21.4. It says, There will come a day standing face to face, and a moment will be like him. He will wipe our eyes dry, take us up to his side, and forever we will be his. I knew right then that God was going to provide us healing and use our story. I've been doing prison ministry for several years now. Recently, there was a young lady that asked to speak with me privately. And I knew that she had been found guilty by the court of law for the death of her own child. So, you know, God, he's funny sometimes. I thought that it was a joke. Um, she said, no, I really want to talk to you. So I said a prayer and asked God, I said, you know, my son, we lost my son at the hand of someone else, and this young lady wants to talk to me. Uh, you're going to use our story, right? <laughs> I asked God for strength in his words in that moment. After she explained she was raised in church and she had accepted Jesus, and she had asked for forgiveness, she said, I'm just having a lot of trouble accepting his forgiveness in this. In that moment, I thought of how much guilt I feel and how, you know, could I have done something different in all those 19 years that would have changed our story? There's guilt. Everybody has it. I said, picture your little one up in the heavenly playground, and it stretches as far as the east is from the west, which is also how far God separates our sin from us. He looks over at Jesus, and Jesus nods and said, she's still coming. We're going to wait for her. When we were done counseling, she got up and she told the chaplain, today I learned that my baby is waiting up in heaven on the playground with Jesus, and my hands were bloody, and now they're clean, and I'll get to see him again. See, God uses your, heavenly, your happily ever after to change your here and now. And when we understand that our destiny is heaven and that God calls us to take as many people as we possibly can with us, it changes the way we live here. See, God uses this bedtime story to change our story here on earth. It has to be more than just hope beyond this world, though that is a real and true consolation. 
So how does he do that? Two things. Number one, it helps us have compassion. This helps us have compassion. Every human being you've ever met in your whole life is fighting the same dark power that you are. They have an enemy called Satan. They're, still, they're all fighting the battle against sin and self, just like you are. And everyone who claims Jesus as Lord has a raging battle going on in them at all times. And those who have not yet made Jesus their Lord are basically just losing that fight. And For that reason, you should have compassion. There, there are a lot of people out there, friends, who don't even understand what's going on in their own story. They don't have the assurance of a happily ever after. And so they're here and now is a mess. And they're, they're, that mess overflows into your life sometimes. And so you should have compassion on them. Love them with the love of Christ. Give them extra grace. If you have the hope of heaven... If you know that one day God is going to give you a happily ever after, then that should make you more compassionate in the here and now. But it shouldn't just affect your heart. It should also affect your action. See, the second thing is that this helps us take action. Jesus calls us to live the values of the not yet in the now. Jesus told us to pray that the kingdom of heaven would come on earth as it is in heaven. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a sermon series, a five-week series through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk about that. And part of the way that Jesus changes our story here is when we find the ways to express the values of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. See, I think we have this tendency to view earth as just kind of practice for heaven, like, i got to get my act together now so I'm ready when we go. Oh, 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 the New Testament teaches a realized eschatology. That's theological language that means heaven starts now. Heaven starts now. That we're called to live the values of the kingdom of heaven now. We are called to express the happily ever after of God's grace in the here and now. So how do we do that? You want to be ready for heaven? Start making it happen here. Help the lost find their way home to Jesus. Strengthen the weak. Clothe the poor. Feed the hungry. Visit the imprisoned. You realize the Bible says that in heaven there'll be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more tears, no more hunger. So why don't we start fixing that stuff here? You work for biblical justice for the mistreated, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, and despised. You fund heaven-focused missions who do these things across the street and around the world. And when we do that, people's stories change. Did you get the message? Our happily ever after actually changes the here and now. Matt Proctor is the president of Ozark Christian College. He was a professor there when I was a student, so he was one of my preaching professors. He's a great preacher and teacher, and so for that reason, I would be already inclined to like him, but he and his wife, Katie, also have a bunch of kids, and they homeschool, so he's pretty much like my favorite dude. Um, <laughs> Matt loves to tell his kids bedtime stories, and the kids have learned that when Matt begins his story with once upon a time, that it's a made-up story. It's a fairy tale. 
But when he begins his story with long ago and far away, that's a true story. That really happened. (laughs) And so this morning I want you to know that long ago and far away, on a hill called Calvary, the only perfect person who's ever lived gave up his happy ending so you could have one. He embraced suffering and torment and death like David was talking about earlier so that you wouldn't have to. And God used that you catastrophe to give you the hope of your story ending happily ever after. And he extends the same promise to you today. For this whole series, we've been saying that when you make Jesus the hero of your story, your whole story gets better. And I want to ask you one more time, is Jesus really the hero of your story? If you've never made that decision, in just a minute, we're going to sing together, and you're going to have an opportunity to decide that today. We'll have people down front ready to receive you. If you're ready to make Jesus the hero of your story, to put your faith in him, to be baptized, to receive the Spirit of God into you, to live that life of discipleship, you can do that this morning. Maybe there's a part of your story that's really not going the way you want and you need someone to pray with you. We'll have decision counselors down front that are ready to do that. You can come down and have people pray with you and for you. Maybe there's a part of your story you don't understand and you just want to talk with somebody. Under the yellow awning is our next step room. I would encourage you to go there even as we sing. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and you respond as God leads you. You make Jesus the hero of your story. Let's sing together today. sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope and no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name.